Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. Ocean Advocate is Kayla Ripple. Kayla is the Science Program Manager at Coral Restoration Foundation, a nonprofit working to restore coral reefs through innovative techniques. Hi, Kayla. Welcome to the show. Hi, Allison. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show today. Very excited to talk about Coral Restoration Foundation. For our listeners, to give you guys a little bit of background on how Kayla is on the show today, I first heard about Coral Restoration Foundation Probably about five years ago, um, I was in college and a good friend of mine, classmate that studied marine biology with me named Michelle, she interned at Coral Restoration Foundation. That's when I first heard about CRF and I've been following along with what they do ever since, very interested and intrigued by what you guys do. So she put us in touch today and Kayla is currently joining us from the Florida Keys, which is where CRF is located. So when I think of the Coral Restoration Foundation, the first thing that pops into my head is this image of fragments of coral hanging on this structure that looks like a tree. So it almost looks like a coral Christmas tree underwater. This is kind of the iconic image of Coral Restoration Foundation. Kayla, can you tell listeners kind of what's going on there and and why that's happening? Definitely. So like you said, The coral tree nursery is sort of like our iconic thing. We started out growing corals on cement blocks or cinder blocks under the water on attached to PVC pipe. And they would sit about a foot above the sand at about 30 feet at the bottom of the ocean. And we would glue them to these blocks and they seemed to do really well. They would grow and do really well. But whenever a storm would come through, it would basically sandblast them. So all that sand that they were sitting about a foot above would just come into the water column and sandblast them. And we had a lot of mortality. So we were trying to figure out different ways to get these corals off the ground and sort of elevate them so that whenever there were these storms that would come through, there wasn't as much mortality. And also we were just trying to think of different ways that we could have less maintenance on these blocks because the blocks attracted lots of algae and The algae would also compete with the coral, which wasn't great for its health either. So we started to try to think of different ways to get them off of the ground and into the water column. And we developed something called a lime nursery, which was actually used in a lot of different Caribbean countries that were also working on restoration programs. And it's basically, it looks like a clothesline. You're basically just hanging corals from a clothesline in the water column, and there's a lot of layers on this clothesline, so there's lots of coral just hanging in the water, and it kind of almost acts like a net in the water, and so we were a little afraid that maybe a dolphin or a manatee might swim through, or a sea turtle might get stuck in this line nursery, so we tried to come up with a different method, and the story goes that it was a long, rainy day, it was really cold out, so we weren't diving, and Ken Niedemeyer, our founder and president, and his wife were sort of just huddled in their house trying to stay warm, and they're like, we can't just waste our time, let's think of a method to grow these corals, and that is how the coral tree nursery was innovated. 
Um, <laughs> we were sitting drinking coffee on a cold day, and we came up with this this idea to get rid of sort of this net-like structure in the water column and consolidate all the corals. So sort of like how to put lots of corals in different layers, and thus the tree nursery was born. These trees sit about 15 feet in the water column, and they're anchored into the ground using a duckbill earth anchor. And then they have buoys that are tied on the top, which lets them sit directly in the water column. And the trees can hold anywhere from 60 to 100 coral fragments. We started using these just for our staghorn corals, Acropora cervicornis, this branching Caribbean coral. But since we had so much success with the staghorn corals, we tried to figure out different ways to grow other corals as well. So we now grow elkhorn coral on these coral tree nurseries. We even have some blade fire coral hanging from these tree nurseries, as well as some boulder coral species that we've glued to cards and are now hanging from monofilament on these coral tree nurseries. So it's kind of a long story as to how it came to be, but it was something that we were really excited about and we wanted to share it with a lot of the restoration community, and now it's the main method that a lot of restoration groups use to grow corals in nurseries. Can you explain to us a little bit the science behind it? You know, obviously you went through kind of the reasoning for using this coral tree method, but what's the science behind growing fragments of coral pieces? So what we noticed was when these corals were put into the water column, they actually started growing faster than they did on these cement blocks. And some of the reasons we don't fully understand, but what we think is happening is there's this 360-degree flow of water around the corals. So they're getting all these nutrients, a little zooplankton in the water column. They're closer to the sunlight, about 15 feet in the water column as opposed to 30 feet in the water column. And so they have lots of nutrients, lots of sunlight to grow and prosper and do really well on these trees. A recent study that just came out, actually, there was a researcher who was working with Marine Lab, and she was looking at the differences in growth rates between the trees and corals that were on these blocks. And she actually found a significantly increased growth rate of corals on the trees versus the blocks, which is solid evidence to prove that this method is actually working and it's really efficient. And just putting the corals on the trees, there was less maintenance for us. So we can really focus our efforts on planting the corals as opposed to trying to grow them. We can grow them really fast, and now we can plant them even faster, which is pretty exciting. And so you just brought up planting the corals. So obviously the corals don't stay hanging on these trees forever. Can you describe the outplanting process of these corals and how that happens? I'm going to focus on the staghorn and the elkhorn. Those are the two species that we work with the most, and they're also the fastest growing species of coral in the Caribbean. These are like these branching corals that have big fingers that come off and lots of hands that come off of them, which makes them really easy to work with and really easy to plant on the reef. So a staghorn coral, let's say a piece the size of your index finger, in about six to nine months is a piece the size of a grapefruit. And that's ready to go to the reef. And so sitting in our nurseries, we have about 40,000 pieces of coral that are this size and ready to go to the reef at any given time. So when we take these corals and harvest them from the nursery, we harvest them by their genotypes. We have lots of different genotypes in our nurseries. 
which makes up a huge genetic diversity, which is a whole other topic of importance <laughs> that I won't get into right now. But we have lots of genotypes of corals, and so we harvest corals based off of their genotype, and we'll harvest about 50 to 100 corals of a specific genotype at a time and take them to the reef, and we plant them in clusters of 10 for staghorn corals and clusters of 5 for elkhorn. But the key thing to note here is that we plant them in these clusters so that we have lots of small pieces of coral all planted in a cluster together so that when they start growing on the reef, they actually start to fuse and hold hands with each other and create a natural 3D habitat and thicket structure that a wild cervicornis or wild staghorn colony would create. So when we take these corals to the reef, we use a two-part marine epoxy, which we mix underwater. It's basically like a putty, and all you have to do is clear away two or three points of attachment for these staghorn corals and about one point of attachment for the elkhorn. you got to clear away all that algae, and you take your putty, and you put it on these cleared points of attachment that you've created. And you can stick the coral really gently into this epoxy and sort of smooth it around the edges. And in about an hour, that epoxy is solid as a rock, and it's basically a part of the reef. And eventually that coral grows straight over the epoxy, and it looks like a natural thicket, a natural coral would look like on the reef, um, which is really cool to see because it does it really quickly. It actually grows over the epoxy and onto the reef in about a month or two months, depending on the season. And over time, they, they just do really well. What have the success rates been like for these different species of coral that you guys have seen? So it's hard to have a specific number, but what we've noticed is after about four to five years, some clusters start to die back. There's still these stressors on the reef. There's still coral disease. There's still increasing sea surface temperatures from things like climate change. And so there's still all these stressors that are on the reef, and they're still affecting the corals that we outplant. But what we've noticed is in some areas, corals do okay, and they'll survive to about the four-year mark until they start dying back from these stressors. But in some areas, these coral clusters are growing and thriving and doing really well. And so it's hard to tell if that's a result of the environment that it's in or if it's a result of the genotype. But moving forward, we're actually going to start monitoring and documenting all of these specific details so we can start to tease apart these questions that we have as to why some corals survive a little better than others when we plant them back to the reefs. But it's really amazing because you can go to one reef site and it looks all right, and then you go to another reef site. For example, we'll do Little Concrete in the Florida Keys, which is one of our really good restoration sites. You go there, and these corals, they're just fused together, and there's so much life around them, and they're brown as can be, almost unaffected by the environment around them. So it's really exciting to see those little pockets of hope when you go back and revisit some of these sites. And where do these coral fragments come from originally that you're hanging on these coral trees? That's a great question. All of our colonies in our nursery or all of the genotypes that we have actually come from wild colonies that existed in the wild a few decades ago. Some of the corals that we have in our nursery are actually the last remaining genetic strain of that coral. 
when we go and we call them collection trips, we find wild colonies of staghorn or elkhorn that are doing really well, and we'll take small fragments, what are called fragments of opportunity. And all of this is actually permitted by the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary here in the Keys. And we're allowed to collect small fragments of opportunity from these colonies that we find that are still existing. We take them back to our nursery, and those become our parent corals or our broodstock corals. And those broodstock corals then generate more fragments, um, lots and lots of fragments that produce second generation, third generation, fourth generation, and so on of these fragments. So all the parent colonies, they live at the bottom of our coral trees, and they're our largest colonies in the nursery. Basically, from these colonies, we can propagate about 100 pieces of coral, hang them onto the tree, in six months, harvest those corals, propagate more fragments from that parent colony, hang it onto the tree, and then it's just a never-ending cycle. So once we collect from these parent colonies in the wild, we never have to go back and collect from them again, which is a really cool thing about our methods is that we collect from wild colonies, but we still leave the colony there so that it can continue to grow and thrive and survive. And from that single fragments that we collect, we can produce thousands of corals from those fragments. So it's a really sustainable practice. And it allows us to propagate hundreds of thousands of corals over the years. But like I said earlier, some of the genotypes that we have in our nursery were ones that we collected about 10 years ago. And since then, there's been disease events and cold events that have caused bleaching in these corals. And some of the genotypes that we have in our nurseries are actually genetic strains that no longer exist in the wild. But now we're able to propagate hundreds of colonies from those extinct genotypes and then plant them across different reef sites to hopefully bring it back. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. So, Kayla, in your opinion and CRF's opinion, why is this important? Why is it important that we're taking coral fragments and outplanting them on the reef? Oh, my goodness. Don't even get me started. This is so important. (laughs) So, like I said, there's these stressors on the reef. There's coral disease, coral bleaching, all these things that have caused this huge decline in structure on our reefs and a decline in abundance of coral populations on our reefs in the Florida Keys. And this isn't just a Florida Keys event. This is something that's happening throughout the Caribbean and throughout the world, this massive decline in coral colonies. And it's all a result of these environmental and human-caused stressors. I think by doing nothing, we could potentially see an entire ecosystem go extinct. So the importance of bringing back these colonies, helping the reefs to recover by, you know, what we do really well is propagate large numbers of corals and a huge genetic diversity so that when we go and plant these corals on the reefs, we're planting thousands of corals that weren't there previously. And these corals eventually, after about two years, will become sexually reproductive and they can spawn and mix with other coral colonies on the reef that we've planted which can then reseed downstream reefs and just provide hope for the future of our reefs. We're giving the reefs a chance at life again. By planting all of these corals, I think that there's some really exciting things that can happen down the road. Just by doing nothing, we could potentially see an entire ecosystem go extinct, and we just can't sit there and let that happen. I think it's great what you said. You're 
providing hope. You know, you're providing hope for these coral reef ecosystems and for the ocean because obviously coral reef ecosystems are very vital to all ocean animals. So Coral Restoration Foundation and all the employees, including yourself, are doing amazing work. But one thing that I always have admired about CRF is that you really welcome anybody and everybody to get involved, get involved with helping these coral reefs, get involved with helping the ocean. So you guys have a kind of home base. You have a visitor center that's located in Key Largo in the Florida Keys, which anybody can go visit. Normal business hours can go there and and learn and talk to employees and see what's going on with CRF. But can you talk about some other ways that people can get involved, some kind of more in-depth ways whether it's an individual or a group or a kid or an adult, whatever, how they can get involved? Yeah, we couldn't do half, we couldn't do any of the work we do without the help and support of our volunteers and our funders and everyone who just is helping to spread the word about environmental conservation and coral reef restoration. A really cool way to get involved is actually through our volunteer program. So if you're a diver, a certified diver, and you live in the Keys or somewhere in South Florida, you can actually come and go on our boats and volunteer in our daily operations. So volunteer with our nursery operations, whether that's cleaning trees or fragmenting corals and putting them back on the tree. You can help with our outplanting operations. So you can help with harvesting these corals and planting them on the reefs. Obviously, that's the best way to get involved if you want hands-on activities. If you don't live in the South Florida area, and you're not able to help us that way, we do offer dive programs where visitors can come down, actually take a classroom session where they learn about our operations, and then you go to the nurseries and outplant on the reefs. And so that's another way to get like hands-on involvement with our organization. And like I said, we couldn't get half the work done without our volunteers and these dive programs that come out and help spread the word and help us plant and work in our nurseries. Also, if you're a college student or recent college graduate, we have an internship program where you can spend three to four months in the Keys. It's a paid internship opportunity, which is really rare to find in the marine science world. (laughs) But this opportunity really lets you dive in, pun sort of intended, to all (laughs) of our operations and really gets you that hands-on experience working with these corals and working in restoration programs. And obviously, my friend Michelle that introduced us was an intern, like I mentioned earlier, at CRF. Mm -hmm. And you were actually an intern at CRF previously. Is that right? Yeah, I've sort of been through all the ranks at CRF. I was a volunteer turned intern turned staff. So (laughs) sort of been through the whole process. That's really cool. So for our listeners, like Kayla just said, all those awesome ways that you can get involved with CRF, whether you live in the... South Florida region or you visit that region, I highly recommend that you guys go visit the Coral Restoration Foundation website. I'll be linking to their website when I post this podcast episode. And another really great thing that you can do, even if you're never going to visit the South Florida area, but you just want to be involved and learn about what they're doing, you can subscribe to their monthly newsletter via their website. It's called the Coral Chronicles, which is an awesome name. And so definitely recommend listeners to subscribe to that so you guys can keep up with what they're doing. And also for our listeners that are on social media, you can follow Coral Restoration Foundation on 
Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And I just learned actually that they have a Snapchat. They just started using Snapchat earlier this year. So listeners, definitely follow them on social media, get involved, check out how you can help with this amazing coral restoration effort that's happening in the Florida Keys as well as throughout the Caribbean. Kayla, I want to thank you for all the amazing work that you do with Coral Restoration Foundation and for all of the people involved. You guys are really helping out the reefs of the world, and I greatly appreciate it, and I know many others do around the world. So thank you for that, and thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much, Allison. I really enjoyed it as well, and thank you for all your support. That's so awesome to hear a fellow reef lover talk about all these wonderful things. So thank you. You just heard Kayla Ripple, Science Program Manager at Coral Restoration Foundation, a nonprofit working to restore coral reefs through innovative technologies. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at allisonrandolph.com and tune into next week's episode to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.